Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Making Work Fun podcast with Maria and Natasha, two working professionals turned life coaches. I'm Maria, and I have worked in economic consulting for more than 14 years. And I'm Natasha. I have over a decade of work experience in human resources. Through our 25 plus years of combined corporate experience, we have learned a lot about work. And through our work as life coaches, we've learned how to make work fun. Whether you work for someone else, run your own business, or do anything else that you call your work, this podcast will teach you how to make your work fun too. Without giving in to the productivity hustle. So let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Making Work Fun podcast. So this week, we're going to be talking about um, how to make work more fun by resisting made-up rules. And what we mean by made-up rules really is, um, so we <laughs> get another one of those episodes where we like thought the topic would be not as serious, <laughs> not as uh, sort of um, not addressing some of those like really big serious topics. And we were completely wrong. The second we started talking about it, we're like, nope, it, it still comes down to all of those systems of oppression we live under. So basically what we mean by made up rules are really all of those rules that um, are sometimes even like in corporate world or in the professional world considered you know, actual truths, like you're supposed to sound a certain way, you're supposed to look a certain way to like look, quote unquote, professional. You're supposed to, you know, write your emails a certain way. You have to like watch the tone you speak in. And the reason, of course, that they are made up and that they like come down to all those systems of oppression is because usually people in marginalized identities are the ones who are subjected to those rules. Um white, you know, heterosexual men and like people who have privilege aren't, um, I mean, there's obviously there's like some rules that apply (laughs) to everyone, like just codes of conduct within companies. But a lot of those rules, like a a lot of the additional rules that are causing a lot of stress for, for people are completely made up and are not equitably applied at all. It's kind of like the informal rules or the unspoken rules that we as a society have like, quote unquote, deemed as being professional in work settings and work environments, but really like professional to who, under what definition. And while you were talking, I just got inspired to like Google the definition of professional, right? And literally (laughs) it's just relating to the characteristics of a profession, engaged in a learned profession, right? So it's just talking about like having a particular profession or a permanent career, but we take it to mean so much more. And we take it to mean like looking a certain way or speaking a certain way or dressing a certain way or presenting a certain way. And as you said, the problem with this definition of professional is that it's super limited in nature and it excludes basically people living in any type of marginalized identity, right? Like I can speak for myself in my situation. So I'm biracial, I'm half black, half white, and I have extremely curly hair. And oftentimes curly hair isn't viewed as professional in our society, right? And I know for a lot of black women, their relationship through their hair, right, is a big part of your identity and it's a big part of my identity. But if like who... I am and how I present isn't viewed or seen as professional enough for certain work environments, then like what option does that leave me with besides straightening my hair, 
covering it up, making it try to fit in and look a certain way so that I can be deemed acceptable by other colleagues and essentially by our white supremacist society. Yeah, exactly. I love, yeah, I love your definition, the unspoken rules. They really are, what's incredibly frustrating, obviously, about them is that they really are just completely made up and they make the professional lives of so many people a nightmare, basically. Like you don't, you have to think about so many extra things when you go into the office as opposed to, you know, your like white male co-worker who is just there chilling and thinking about his work. <laughs> You're there thinking about your work plus those 10 other things. You know, it's like this extra burden and it sort of hinders your obviously well-being and your experience at work and it hinders your professional development because you have so many additional barriers and things that you have to be thinking about and you know abiding by yeah, um, it's totally. very like, frustrating I was I was doing research um on this topic a couple years ago when I was finishing up my master's and um doing a paper on racism in Canadian workplaces and how that shows up in work environments. And one of the things that I was reading about, which I found to be so true in my experience, is like people in marginalized identities need to know all the rules of the game. You need to know the rules of whatever the main or dominant group is. You need to know the rules of the marginalized identities. You need to know how to kind of like show up and act in the game. Whereas people in the dominant group don't need to know any of the rules. They just get to show up exactly as they are. And then it's like deemed acceptable and totally fine. And so it, like you said, it puts all this extra pressure because not only now are you thinking about doing the work that you are assigned or whatever. And we're talking, I guess, about it in this particular topic as like work in an office setting or in um, a corporate culture or things like that. But this could apply to a school setting or other types of environments. But as soon as we um, are in the non-dominant group, we need to be focused on what's going on all around us. We're focused on our work. And then how do we maintain this like, quote unquote, professional image so that we're not um, put on the outside or excluded or seen as different or viewed as weird or whatever the case may be. Yeah, like white dudes are the default. <laughs> They're like the norm. <laughs> and then whatever they have like decided and made up is unprofessional. We all have to worry and think about. Um, one example that comes to mind for me as you know, an immigrant and a non-native English speaker is like I've always had to be so vigilant about how I express myself and how I write because nothing is more frustrating <laughs> as a non-native speaker than someone coming and like lecturing you on English grammar <laughs> or on like on you know how to spell things correctly when you make the inevitable human typo that all of us make. You know, if my colleague who's like whoever that is, the person next to me who is an English speaker makes the same typo, they wouldn't get lectured about. You know, in America, we spell things <laughs> like, like, okay, thank you for the extremely patronizing speech. Like, I know how we spell things in America. I just made, you know, a typo. It's, it's so, so frustrating. And so I've had to sort of be extra, I've made, the, like, I've put these rules on myself, like, okay, I need to sound extra polished and like double check things multiple times just so I can avoid the situation of someone being incredibly <laughs> annoying about it. But what's so interesting and fascinating to me too about if we talk about the language in particular, that example, is that even in English, 
there's so many different ways of spelling the same words. Like Canadian English is different than American English in terms of some spelling and some words. So there actually isn't a right or wrong way. But what, but sometimes we just like think that our way is the only way or the dominant group way is the only way, but that's actually not true, right? It, there isn't one set established rule of how we spell every single word in English. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the same is true, I guess, of accents. There is no such thing as like accent zero, like the baseline accent. (laughs) Everybody speaking English has an accent, whether it's like the coast accent, the coast from like the North Atlantic accent or the Midwestern accent or the West Coast accent or the Southern accent. (laughs) You know, there are so many different accents, but like whenever someone's like, oh, you have an accent, like, well, yes, you do too. (laughs) We all have an accent. Exactly. Right. And I think it's like the responsibility of us as individuals to train our ears to listen and understand and hear other ways of speaking and other ways of being. Right. Like it's not on other people to conform to us. It's on us to understand and listen and um, be open to other ways. Like that's how we honor the diversity of society. Like how boring would it be if we all had the exact same way of speaking, the exact same intonation, the exact same patterns, the exact same accent. There would literally be no diversity in um, the breadth of like our human experiences and our cultures and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it is so um, sort of having a hard time even expressing because it's like an emotional topic for me, but um, it can be so incredibly actually stressful. Like people don't think about it. When I first came to the U.S., obviously my accent was different. It was a little thicker, like a little more, more Bulgarian sounding. Um, and also I was just extremely self-conscious about it. I think I've sort of moved, grown a little bit in both of those areas um, in the sense that I've done, by grown, I mean, I've done the work to like not have a problem with my own accent, which wasn't always the case, but it was like so, so stressful. Like I was very stressed out every time I had to talk to someone in, you know, any sort of social setting, like customer service or something, because people would just be so impatient. And then I would think something's wrong with me. They're just like, huh, I don't understand you. Like, okay, but can you take a beat and maybe, you know, ask some questions? Like, there's multiple ways to say that I don't always understand what someone else is on the other line is saying, but there's ways to express that that won't make the other person feel horrible. And there's ways to express that that are very stressful. Um, yeah, and it can, I mean, I still to this day, my husband, who's also Bulgarian, he still, to the, like, we've talked to each other about that. He still to this day has some, like, anxiety every time he has to talk to customer service because of that. Like, he's like, what if someone doesn't understand it and is being rude about it and, or being super impatient with me about it? it? It can be very jarring and very traumatizing. Of course it can be. And the thing about the situation um, is that it really has nothing to do with you, right? It's kind of just like you are presenting as yourself, as who you are, right? That like very perfect, uh, incredible version of yourself. And it really has to do with the other people and their own ignorance or their own perception or their own limited experiences. But oftentimes what ends up happening is when we're in situations where we're the minority group and we're in the like oppressed group, we blame ourselves and we make it mean that there's something wrong with us. And this is the part I think where it's so important to start to learn how to to disassociate that from from someone else's actions, right? It's like, we know that people are going to forever make ignorant 
comments. We just like, well, we just know that's true for myself as a biracial person. I know that for the rest of my life, people will probably continue to make comments about my skin color, my family, <laughs> you know, my hair, how I present my last name, all of those different types of things. And so my work isn't to try to control it and try to present in a way that makes sure it never happens because I can't, I literally can't, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know who's going to say these comments, right? It happens off the cuff many on many occasions. Instead, my work is to really decide how I want to show up in the face of those situations that I can't control. And what I've learned for myself is it really has to be with me deciding to have my own back and deciding to be committed to loving myself and honoring myself and the ways in which I showed up in these instances, like you said, that might feel really jarring and might feel really unsettling. And even if I didn't show up perfectly or didn't say the thing that I wish I would have said, recognizing that that is okay. And I'm not going to be mean to myself or berate myself because of how I showed up in the face of an oppressive comment or system or structure that really had nothing to do with me. Yeah. And it also, we should point out that it is extremely normal if you have a lot of like your, your nervous system is really shocked when something like that happens, because it is, it does feel incredibly unsafe Sometimes not literally, like sometimes you're not in literal physical danger, but sometimes you actually are, right? Like there are many instances of racial violence, of xenophobic violence. So it, it it's not like our brains just came up with this made up threat. No, it is an actual physical threat um, for a lot of people. So of course, of course, your nervous system reacts that way. Of course, your brain is like, this is a dangerous situation because it is, Um and what we're trying to sort of help you out with here is not to say that, you know, there's anything wrong with that reaction, but, you know, how to take care of yourself when something like that happens and how to not make it worse for yourself by blaming yourself that you didn't react in a certain way. Like, that's a big thing that I, I think I've spent many years of my life grappling with is, you know, whenever someone does make a comment about my English or like a xenophobic comment or like says go back to your country or makes a super sexist comment, how to like then not blame myself for reacting a certain way. Because I always thought it's my responsibility to react, to educate, to push back. Um, and, and I'm not saying that it's, you know, we shouldn't try to be doing those things, but you also can't put it on yourself to be the person who's always doing the pushing back and the educating, especially when you're in a situation where your nervous system is like really jarred and really overwhelmed. So give yourself the space to not react perfectly in those types of situations. Yeah. Cause I think in a lot of these situations, they often happen in an unpredicted manner. It just happens off the cuff where you weren't necessarily expecting it. And usually they happen like in a large group or just like where you're kind of in the minority setting. And so it's like, now you're faced with something that you didn't expect, something that was upsetting or offended you or discriminatory or whatever, however you want to label it. And now it's maybe in a public setting where you are not part of the dominant group. And that can be super, just like you said, uh, it could generate a feeling of unsafe. It could be really unsettling. It could just be shocking. It could just, no matter how many times you've experienced it, it could be something that just doesn't sit right with you in that instance. And I think what we're trying to suggest is 
there isn't a perfect or right way to handle it. And when you can take that pressure off yourself and let yourself just be a human in that moment and let yourself show up however you show up and decide to have your own back and love yourself and be proud of yourself because it was a hard thing to handle and however you handled it was okay. That is where you really start to deepen your own connection with yourself and you recognize that other people's actions have nothing to do with you. Like the way that I like to think about it is there is no right way that I need to handle like racist or sexist comments. There isn't an answer. And it's like, how do I want to handle it in the moment? And the way that I want to handle it is okay. And it's allowed. And sometimes that looks like saying something. Sometimes that looks like ignoring it. Sometimes that looks like saying something after, you know, sometimes that's, that looks like writing a post on social media, reflecting on the incidents and what happened and trying to educate other people. But it's like when you force yourself to take the burden on and have to do everything right in that moment, you don't give yourself a lot of space to do what actually generates like a good feeling and a comfortable, safe feeling in your own body. Yeah, I love what you said about that. I'm going to for sure write that down somewhere and remind myself of that is however you reacted in the moment, you get to decide that that was the perfect way to react because it was like, that's what you needed to do in the moment to feel safe. And that that's, that's perfect. Um, And then the other, the other thing that sometimes happens is we try to act and this is where we sort of impose those made up rules on ourselves. Sometimes we try to act in like the quote unquote professional or like expected ways to avoid such things happening to like, like uh, going back to my example with like the drafting of emails. I'm like, if I only drafted perfectly enough and spend seven hours editing it, then no one is ever going to make a comment about my English incorrect. (laughs) There's always going to be someone who's going to make an annoying comment about that. And just sort of coming to grips with that and not sort of putting it on yourself to try to prevent it. I was, I was coaching um, someone a few few months ago on this um, and she, she was a black woman and she was talking about, she was going to an event and she was talking about, you know, presenting in specific ways so as not to prompt someone to make, you know, an inappropriate or racist comment. And you know, where we ended up was like, it's not her burden to try to prevent people who are going to make racist comments from making racist comments. That's just not on her. And there's no way for her to prevent that. Mm -hmm. And she can just show up as herself. And then some people are going to make terrible comments. And then she can show up for herself again in how she wants to react to that. Yeah, right. And that makes it so much like... Um, less intensive and of experience for yourself. Because if you go into a presentation being like, I need to control every single person's actions, behaviors, make sure they don't make a sexist comment, make sure they don't make a racist comment, make sure they don't make a comment about English or about immigrants or whatever else may be happening. It's like you instantly put yourself in this agitated panic state because you cannot control it. We live in an oppressive society where there are structures in place that, you know, there are racist comments made, misogynistic comments are made as part of the norm, like fat phobic comments are made and we can't control them. And so it's like separating who we are from other people and the decisions that they're making in terms of how they want to engage with the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then some some sort of 
a little more humor, <laughs> to introduce a little bit of humor into the situation. Like another thing I was talking about with a friend recently is like what sometimes if you are sort of feeling up for it and up for it, like saying something or responding to an inappropriate comment, one good strategy is to just like mirror what the person just said. So if someone comes and is like, oh, where are you from? Or I, I had Bulgarian food once. I can be like, oh, I had New York food once. <laughs> you know, just sort of mirror it to like make it obvious how ridiculous they're sounding right now. Totally. And that comes from when you feel safe, right? When you feel yes. okay and you feel grounded and you feel confident, then you're going to be willing to turn it around and make those comments when it feels good for you and when you are wanting to add some lightness or humor or reflect back to the person how <laughs> ridiculous they sound. And I would do that all the time when people would ask me like what I was, I'd be like, oh, I'm a human. Like it was just like so I've been asked what I was, and I've that was my exact response. I'm like, I'm human. <laughs> what are you? What kind of a question is that exactly, even? <laughs> exactly, right? And so I think people then start to realize, like, oh, okay maybe doing some self-reflection, like what, how did that question come across? Why did <laughs> right. I make that? Right. Exactly. So you're totally right. There's like opportunities to infuse humor when you feel good, when you, it's something that you right. want to do. And when it's like, it's grounding and nourishing for you and your body. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind is our teacher, Carol Lowenthal, had this amazing example, which I totally plan to use sometimes of like when someone tells you a sexist joke, you can just like make them super uncomfortable and be like, why is that funny? Would you mind explaining that to me? <laughs> just be like, I didn't understand the punchline. Can you please elaborate? Right? And, and then make them point? say like, it's funny because women are dumb. <laughs> Yes, totally. You turn that right around and make it a super uncomfortable situation where someone now needs to explain how women are inferior in the context of their joke, in their minds, whatever. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. Um, a few other things that we had kind of like lightly talked about when we were prepping for this podcast that we haven't really addressed is like we used kind of like um, racism and language speaking abilities or however you want to call it, like as some examples, because those are our own personal examples. But I think that um, other ways in which we kind of like monitor ourselves in work environments or in work settings is like the, um, you were saying, Maria, like how loudly one speaks or how expressive one speaks or um, your personality or even like um, the way you think, like, right? Neurodivergent brains and thought patterns and ways of questioning and ways of relating to the work. Like all of those things are okay and are part of like who you are as a human and don't need to be monitored or controlled in order to fit into certain settings. But we oftentimes think that they are things that we need to um, present in a certain way in order to be accepted by the dominant group. Yeah, and also, you know, what even tone you use, what how direct you are. I literally was just reading a story on, and I'm I, I'm not going to cite a source because I don't remember the source, but it was a story about a woman who got called into HR and I think ultimately even got fired because she was working at a tech company and started responding to emails in the same tone as her male co-workers. And she was called into HR to 
say how rude she's being to her team and how many people were offended by her tone. <laughs> and, you know, and I think ultimately she lost her job for it. But that that is so true. I can, you know, never say things in the same tone or, you know, at least like that was my thought process for a long time. Like I can never say things in the same tone as some of my male coworkers because I'm going to be perceived as, you know, aggressive. I've, uh, um, you know, people are going to make comments about, some some annoying comments I've heard in my career are literally a guy who's like as if he was taken from an 80s sitcom. He's like, uh-oh, am I in trouble? I'm like, what? I was I said we need to discuss something about the project. And he made this like super bizarre comment. I'm like, this feels so awkward right now. Like I don't even know what I'm supposed to say to this. I'm like, what do you yeah. mean? Are you in trouble? Yeah, but you know. I can possibly imagine him saying that to a male coworker. A male coworker is like, can we do the project? I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like, what? Exactly, right? Where it's like, it's like you almost don't have the same grace to show up in a work environment because of these made-up rules and structures and these ideas that women should be soft-spoken or gentle or nourishing or kind and can't show up in um, a more assertive fashion. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's, it's so, it seeps into, I'm sure we've forgotten many ways in which this like seeps into the work culture and sort of the, the made up rules about professionalism, but, um, by what we wanted to sort of get across today is how you can resist them by being, you know, kind to yourself about it and trying to push back against them and then sort of honoring how, you feel and not making it most importantly, like not making any of those rules mean that you are in any way, you know, worse at your job or you're not doing as well, or you need to be working harder. Like that, that part is the part where you can be like, you have control over how you're talking to yourself, given that those, you know, made up rules exist around you. Exactly. It's about disassociating other people's actions, other people's words from you and who you are and how you're showing up. We can just assume that other people are going to make comments because this is what humans do. Our favorite thing as humans is to make comments to other people. And sometimes those comments are judgmental, even when we don't mean them to be judgmental. And I'm not speaking on like anyone else's behalf. Like maybe some people are trying to be judgmental. Maybe they're just ignorant and have no idea. And they're not trying to be judgmental. We have no idea. We actually don't necessarily always need to know the intent either, but it's just recognizing that their actions, their behaviors are on them, and they're not a reflection of you, your capacities, your professionalism, your abilities to be successful in the work environment. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't have anything else um, that's coming to mind on this topic. I mean, there, it's such a vast topic that I wouldn't be surprised if we make another podcast on it. But for now, I think I covered what I wanted to cover yeah, I think this is a really good place to leave it for this week. So thanks everyone for following along with our discussion and we will see you again next week. Hey everyone, it's Maria. I am a burnout coach for professional women and I work with high achieving perfectionists who want to heal burnout so that they can take a step back and enjoy their lives without sacrificing their success. To work with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can go to my website, which is restovergrind.com and book a free consult call. You can also follow me on Instagram at rest underscore over underscore grind or on LinkedIn under restovergrind LLC. 
Hey everyone, Natasha here. I'm a money mindset coach. I work with women who want to shift their beliefs around money and wealth so they can finally leave the drama behind and focus on actually doing the work they love to do. I work with two different types of clients. Employees who want to make more money at work or entrepreneurs who want to earn more in their business. And I teach people how to love the process of earning and creating more because it really is possible for money to be easy and fun. So let me show you how. You can find me on my website at natashatakesti.com or on Instagram at natashatakesti. We'll see you there.